Amen. So look in chapter 7, verse 1. Remember it says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So, setting the scene, we are in Corinth. We are in the city of Corinth. Remember Corinth, there was a lot of sin happening. It was a trade city. And so there was the mix of Jews there. There were people that were not Jews. They had two completely different backgrounds. And you bring them together to form the church. And now Paul is addressing lots of different problems and questions in that church. So if you were on this side where you grew up in Corinth and you saw all the sin that was happening in that city, there's a man named Paul. He comes, he preaches the gospel. You end up getting saved. So you're set apart, so you turn your back on all of your sin, you turn your back on their culture, and you turn to Christ, and you are trying to follow Christ in everything that you do. Then you've got this side, which are people that were raised in Judaism, so they're Israelites, they're Jews, they have the Ten Commandments, they were taught, you know, you got to do this, 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 very, very strict religious upbringing. And so they've got these ways of doing things. They end up hearing Paul, who was a Jew, and they hear him preaching Christ, which is getting right with God by the blood of Jesus. They end up turning their back on trying to attain salvation with all of the Laws, and they say, okay, I'm following Christ. So you have this side following Christ, this side following Christ. They come together, and now they are the church in a city that is morally corrupt. Okay, we kind of talked about living in maybe the underground of Las Vegas, and there was so much going on and some really crazy dark stuff. And that's what Corinth was like. I mean, there just was a lot of sin, a lot of sin. And so then you have all of this other stuff where there was a lot of slaves back in those days. So you've got slaves getting saved. They come into the church. And then you've got masters getting saved. They come into church. So you've got slaves, masters, Jews, non-Jews, Gentiles, pagans, all coming together. And all the problems are there in the church. And so what they did is they wrote Paul and they said, Paul. What about this? And then Paul, well, but what about this? And Paul, what about this scenario? And so what Paul is doing is Paul loves these people. He loves, loves, loves them. And what he's going to do is he's going to relay information that Jesus taught on. So we're going to see some uh, terminology in there where it says this is from the Lord, which is meaning that Jesus taught on this question. Then he's going to say something else that says, not the Lord, but I. Now what he's saying is that Jesus didn't teach on this, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, I, Paul, am going to teach on it. So he's claiming the same authority that Jesus had in proclaiming Scripture. Paul is claiming that same authority because the Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed. So he's clarifying, Jesus spoke on this aspect of your question, but he didn't speak on this aspect, but I, Paul, with the power of the Holy Spirit, will address that question. So 
Look at verse 8 in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Here we go. Now, here's the thing, guys. We're going to verse 40. There's a lot. We are going to plow through this. Now, I will say this as a caveat to this section is that Paul is not addressing every scenario. He's going to deal on marriage again. He's going to continue to talk about celibacy. And now he's going to talk about divorce. Now, you remember, the culture back then, people were getting divorced. I read one in that culture that people were getting divorced over 20 times. 20 times. And so, you got to think, wait, there was just a lot of craziness going on. And remember, the marriage that we see in our day was totally different than the marriages that we saw back then. Not in that the way that God had set it up, but there was different ways that people were getting married. One slave would marry another slave, but then they could be torn apart if their master sold the one slave off. And then people were living together, and after one year, it was like a common law marriage. One where basically one dad talked to another dad and said, hey, I will basically sell my daughter to your son to be his wife. And then there was the kind that we're all familiar with, which is, you know, you come together and it was more of the higher class people and they were getting married much like we get married today. So a lot of stuff going on in the church. So remember when we read this, a lot of times we put on our American 2022 glasses and we look at that and we think, man, that, I just, it's hard. Well, we got to understand the context and the historical context of what was happening here. However, it still crosses over to our culture. Okay, So what Paul was saying is the church at Corinth, don't obey the culture, obey Christ. And what scripture is telling us today is don't obey the culture, obey Christ. That is your only thing in life. Your only major concern in life is, I want to please Christ. And you remember, when, we, when Paul starts to lay things out, you got to remember what has happened to Paul. He was a very religious Jew. I mean, he was all in. And then what happened is he had this experience where God revealed himself to him. He became a Christian. And then everything that he did was proclaiming Christ, proclaiming Christ. Hey, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. His whole life was about Jesus. And so he had this extreme perspective that, hey, Jesus is coming. We're going to be with him. we got to preach the gospel. It was, a, it was a mindset that was totally sold out. And so, remember we saw where he said, you know, it's actually better to be wronged. It's better to be wronged. Well, why? Because Paul thought, listen, it's all about Christ. It's about Christ bringing him glory. And then when we see this, we're going to see things like, wow, wait a minute. Paul, aren't you so concerned about their happiness or their joy? Paul is concerned about Christ and him being proclaimed. So if some of this seems like, wow, that is heavy, just understand he is all about Christ. And here's the thing. That's what we're supposed to be about. That's what we're supposed to be about. And so everything that Paul is saying, listen, let that fade away. Let that old life fade away or let the culture fade away and let everything you do be about 
Christ. Here we go. Verse 8. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Now, I'm going to pause really quick. Now, Paul might have been married because of one of the religious sects that we think that he belonged to. You had to have been married. And so maybe Paul's wife had passed away. We're not exactly sure if he was married, but we think that he was married. But right here he is saying, it's better to be single as I am. Okay? But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay, remember we saw this last week. Better to marry than to burn with passion. Basically, if you can't control that desire to be with the opposite sex, then you should get married. Instead of letting that burn within you, Paul is saying you do not have the gift of celibacy. Celibacy is remaining single for your life. If you don't have that gift, then get married. We saw that last week. Verse 10. To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. Now remember what I said earlier. He's going to deal with things. He's going to explain things that Jesus taught on. So right there it says, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Okay, very straightforward. Very straightforward. Most people, most people, when they get married and they're here, you know, they're, they come down the aisle and they're standing there and then the lady's there. They're not thinking, this is probably a three-year deal and then we'll just kind of go our ways. And so no one starts out thinking, if it doesn't work out, we'll just divorce. Or most people don't start out like that. So, so, so anyone that has gone through divorce, I know it's been, it's been hard and there's been a ripping apart and there's been so much hurt. And this is not to bring shame on you or to expose old wounds or anything like that. We already talked about if that has happened, man, you have, and if you've turned to Jesus Christ and you've asked him, Lord, forgive me, the Bible says that you are forgiven. Amen and amen. Amen? Okay, so this isn't about that. This is about those that, let's say, are not divorced and they're here and they're thinking, you know what? Maybe divorce is an option for me. No, here's the thing. is The Bible says this, is that no, it's not an option. It's not an option. Now, there is one caveat. If, there, if one of the partners has, been, uh, has committed adultery, then the Bible says, yes, that you could get divorced for those reasons. However, it does not mean that you must. See, what God would rather have is that their forgiveness take place, healing takes place, and then that couple says, you know what? God did a miracle in our life. This is what happened. This is what happened. Our marriage, we grew apart. Something happened, but God came back. We forgave each other, and now we are whole. Amen and amen. And that just brings glory to Jesus. Now, here's the thing, is that God knows that can't happen with everybody. He knows that. So there is that caveat right there where if adultery is taking place, then yes, one 
has the grounds for divorce, but it doesn't mean that they should get divorced. Okay, remember, we're not going to hit every scenario in this text. Verse 12. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord. Now, here's what people have done. They have totally messed up what Paul is saying. They take where he says, I, not the Lord, and they say, hey, you know what? This is just Paul's opinion, so we actually don't have to listen to it. But that's not, that's not at all of what Paul's saying. All that Paul's saying is, Jesus dealt with certain things in divorce. If you want to look at them, it's Matthew chapter 19. He talked about divorce. And so when Paul says, it's the Lord said this, he's relaying the information that Jesus has already taught on. But right here where he says, I, not the Lord, what he's saying is the Lord didn't speak on this aspect, but I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will address the question. That if any brother has a a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Okay, just highlight that if you have an unbeliever And, well, let me just read it again. That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, so a husband has a wife who's not a believer, and she consents to live with them, he should not divorce her. So what was happening is that you had these people that, let's say they were both non-Christians, and then one of them gets saved. And now they're thinking, wait a minute, I believe in Christ, but my spouse doesn't believe in Christ. Paul. Should we divorce? And what Paul is saying is no. If that spouse, that unbelieving spouse, is willing to stay with you, then stay married. Stay married. Okay? So the Corinthians, they were trying to figure out how do we please the Lord. Now, remember, a lot of their background, they were thinking, hey, there is so much uh, sexual sin. Maybe I'll just remain celibate forever. Because it was so gross. And Paul said, no, 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 no. It's so gross outside of the context of marriage. It's beautiful within marriage. So he was setting the scene. Listen, if you have a, if you get saved, your spouse is not saved, and your spouse is willing to stay with you, then stay married. Don't get divorced. Verse 13, if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce. So he just said the same thing as verse 12, but flopped the roles. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Now, you could say, Rusty, what are you talking? Holy? How would a believing spouse make the other spouse holy? Are you saying that one spouse could be saved, and since that spouse is saved, the other person is saved? Well, here's the thing. I want you to put that to the test. Does that make any sense when you look at all of Scripture? Now, all of you should have a red light saying, no, 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 no. It would not make any sense to say, That since spouse A is a Christian, makes the non-believing spouse B a Christian. You think, no, that doesn't make any sense. Because the Bible says that we all have a personal responsibility to make a choice whether or not to follow Christ. So then what does it mean? 
But what we do is we're going to grab another text to interpret this text. We're going to grab another passage to help bring light on this. And we're going to bring in 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they're not Christians, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So here's what Peter's saying. Listen, if you are a woman who is saved, then your actions, the way you treat and you love and you continue to respect your unbelieving husband could lead him to come to Christ. And Paul is saying it in a different way here is that, listen, there is a certain thing that happens in a home where you have a believing parent. There is something that happens that you're there and you're praying and you're, you're constantly exposing them to who Christ is. And they could see you every day. They see your actions. And, and then your spouse says, man, I know that a miracle has taken place. The unbelieving spouse says this, because I know who you used to be, husband. I know that you used to, you know, just run around, do all these crazy things, and you just, there was so much sin in your life, but something happened. And I know that Jesus must be real. I want to receive him as my Savior as well. There's, some, there's a blessing there. That's what Paul is communicating. Look at verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. Okay, so here's what we got. We got the believing, the unbelieving. Let's say the unbelieving partner just says, I cannot be with you. You are driving me nuts with this praise the Lord stuff. And you constantly are nice to me and you're loving me. I just, you're creeping me out. I want out of this. And if that partner separates, Paul is saying is this, let it be so. Let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your, life, your wife? So it says here, now some people can say this, um, some commentators say the way that this is structured where it says let it be so, what they're saying is that if the unbelieving spouse wants to leave, then the believing spouse has grounds to file for divorce. Now, one, another commentator says, no, 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 that's not at all what the passage says. All it says is, let it be so, as in if the unbelieving spouse leaves the believing spouse, let it happen. But the unbelieving spouse would need to file for divorce, not the believing spouse. And you say, well, wait a minute, Rusty. What if the unbelieving spouse leaves... The believing spouse says, I don't have any grounds for divorce on the way that they interpret this text. But then the unbelieving spouse goes and starts living with someone else and committing adultery. Well, then you come in and the text says this, is that if adultery has taken place, then the believing spouse 
has grounds to file for divorce. It doesn't mean they, doesn't mean they have to. The, uh, the believing spouse could say, I know that I can, I can file for divorce against the spouse that has committed adultery, that's unbelieving. However, I'm going to hold out hope. I'm going to hold out hope that that spouse is going to repent, going to come back, and God's going to do a miracle. That's what you can do. So now, how you interpret this text, if you are in this position, my advice would be I would want to come alongside you and I would want to pray like crazy for a real clear understanding of what that verse, let it be so, means. See, we don't, we're dealing with human beings. We're dealing with real life. We're dealing with real pain. And, and I don't want to just to throw it out there and say, oh, we'll just make a decision really quick. Anything that is this major, that is going to impact this many people, should be taken very slowly with a lot of prayer. Verse 17. Let, uh, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. And to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his calling already circumcised? Let him not to seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. But keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought, bought with a price... Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. Okay. So you think, Rusty, what are you talking about? Remember the context. Is that people were like, so, so imagine that you're a slave. Okay. You're a slave. You're all slaves of Bob. We're all Bob slaves, okay? So we're all Bob slaves. And here this guy, Paul, comes and he starts preaching the gospel. And then I get saved. Leon gets saved. We all get saved. And then we tell Bob, we tell Bob hey, guess what? We're out of here. We're, we're, we're no longer slaves. We've been set free. And so we take what is in the spiritual and then we start saying, you know what? We're, 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 we're done. I'm not going to be Bob's slave anymore. And there was so much... Uh, turmoil that was happening in the church. You had Bob, the slave owner, and then we had all of us that were slaves. And there was this a lot of confusion. And what Paul is saying is, listen, just stay where you're at. Stay where you're at. If you can buy your freedom from Bob, then avail yourself the opportunity and do that. But if you can't, just stay where you're at. See, people were using their, their salvation to change their physical circumstance in that city. And Paul is saying, listen, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Remember, Paul is not overly concerned about everybody's happiness. 
he is overly concerned about people receiving Christ and being right before him and being obedient to the Lord. That's his concern. Verse 25, now concerning the betrothed. I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Again, he's saying by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give advice on this or I'm going to give counsel on this. Verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not, seek to, do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they have no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present from of this form of this world is passing away. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. Okay, if you want to be free from anxieties, Paul is trying to help you. Let's watch what he says. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about the world about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Okay, so that was a lot. And here's basically breaking it down. He's saying this. Listen, it's crazy in Corinth right now. There's persecution. There's things happening. You know, there's some future stuff that's going to happen. And Paul's saying this. Listen, if you are not married, it's probably best that you don't get married. If you are married, stay married. Because he's saying, if you are unmarried, your whole focus is on pleasing the Lord. Someone could call you right now if you are unmarried and say, hey, we'd like you to come to Africa for six months. There's this amazing uh, orphanage and we really need your help. Guess who you have to check with? The Lord. Lord, is that what you want? Yes, copy that. We're gone. And that's what Paul was. Paul didn't have a wife. So he was going from Corinth, and he's going to this area, this area. He's back down to Jerusalem. He's going all over the place, and his whole focus is on the Lord. He doesn't have to check with his wife. Hey, are you cool if I um, head over to uh, Greece? Mm, I don't know, a year and a half? He doesn't have to do that. And what he's saying is, listen, if you don't want to have the anxiety of taking care of a wife and kids, it's best not to get married. Because guess what? You could focus 100% of your attention on the Lord. But if you don't have the gift of celibacy, then get married. That's what he's saying. And guess what? A lot of us, obviously don't have the gift of celibacy because we're all 
married. We're married. And guess what Paul says? Stay married. Stay married. Look at verse 36. This is all for you dads who have um, daughters. You will understand this in the context. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having the desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as a betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Here's what happened. Is that you would have a dad. You've got Adam. And he says, Abby is going to never get married. She's going to be celibate for life. And he Makes that vow to the Lord. Well, Abby gets older and she's like, I want to get married. And now Adam is sitting there struggling thinking, oh no, I made a vow to the Lord. Lord, I said that I would give you my daughter and that she would never get married. But she's saying, I don't have the gift of celibacy, Dad. I want to be married. What do we do, Paul? And Paul's saying, take it easy. Let her get married. Let her get married. Now, it would be better, he's saying, that if she has the gift of celibacy, don't push her in marriage. Remember who that comes from? The Jews. They were saying, listen, everybody needs to get married. There's no gift of celibacy here. Everybody needs to get married. But what Paul is saying is this. If she does have the gift of celibacy, don't push her to get married. It's better that she not be married. But if she doesn't have the gift of celibacy, even if you made a vow and you said, my daughter will never get married, it's okay. Adam, your daughter can get married. That's what's happening there. So as we wrap this up, look at the last. Starting in verse 39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So, first let's hit this. Don't you guys, don't you guys like knowing that the one who created you and the one who paid the price for all your sins and the one who you belong to says this, that your spouse can't just leave you for any reason? Because yeah, our culture, some, I mean, always paints uh, Christianity in a, in a bad light. But think about the security this brings, especially in that context, where you think, you know what? If I just wake up on the wrong side of the bed and I burnt the toast and my wife's like, seriously? She can't just leave. She can't just divorce me. I mean, that should bring so much comfort to us. I mean, we should think about that, that our creator says, no, no, no. It's one man, one wife forever. And so I want to encourage you guys. We are people that we need to have that assurance that our spouse, no matter how crummy we could be, is not just going to leave us. 
they're, they're going to stay with us. Now, we talked about the, the, one of the scenarios where that, the divorce can happen. But by and large, if our personalities just aren't meshing, it's not, not in the back of my mind. I'm thinking, you know what? Man, she could leave me because uh, I just have been a jerk lately. There's, there, there, should be a very, there should be a sense of comfort knowing that our God says, no, it's, it's forever. It's forever. But here's the thing. If you are a, uh, a person whose spouse has died, the Bible says this, is that you can get remarried. But it says, in the Lord, what that phrase means is that person must be a Christian. The Bible teaches that a Christian can only marry a Christian. Okay? And then someone who has a spouse that passes away, they want to get remarried, they can only marry a Christian. And you think, well, wait a minute, Rusty. What if there was these two people and they weren't saved and then one of them got saved? What do they do? We just talked about that. The only reason that you should have a a married person who is uh, saved and unsaved together is if they were both unsaved before they got married and one person got saved. I want to read this quote, and a lot of times we put on rose-colored glasses, and we see the world in our mind, and we think, man, if I could just get divorced, and then I would have the spouse of my dreams... It's a lie. I'm going to read this quote by a commentator, and it goes like this. We are prone to think that a change in circumstances is always the answer to a problem. But the problem is usually within us and not around us. The heart of every problem is the problem in the heart. That's it. That's it. I mean, so much we think that if we change our circumstance that everything will be amazing. But it's not true. The reason why everything is amazing is because there's no one on that. Jesus died on it. He was buried. He rose again. And he lives in us. He's purchased us. And we're his. And he says this, listen, husband, wife, if you would just do what I say and follow me, I will make your marriage everything that I want it to be. Just come to me with everything. Husband, love your wife. Wives, respect your husbands and get rid of the culture, the influence of the culture and say, no, you know what? This is the only thing that really matters. And God says this, one man, one woman for life. Now praise God for forgiveness. Praise God for forgiveness. If you are in a place that, that you think, you know what? Um... I need to ask the Lord for forgiveness in something. Well, as we have this, uh, this time of reflection, we call it an altar call, my, my encouragement would be just uh, you're only one prayer away from the Lord of just saying, Lord, forgive me for, for, for what happened in the past. If you've never trusted the Lord as your Savior, man, today is the day. Today is the day. 
And think about this. You can leave here knowing that everything that you've ever done, will do, is paid by the blood of Jesus. And then you cling to this book. And everything that you do, every decision that you make is based off of this. You know, the culture may say something, but you think, okay, hold on one second. Okay, actually, I'm just going to go ahead and obey this. This is, this is true. This never changes. And this is written by the creator. This is the one who made us. And he says, listen, I've designed everything. And this is how I've designed marriage. It's to be a beautiful thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your... Well, that's all we have for our podcast today. If you would like more information about Russellville Baptist Church and our ministries, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.russellvillebaptistchurch.com or you can find us on social media at Facebook and Instagram under Russell Baptist Church. Well, join us next time as Pastor Rusty continues his series in the book of 1 Corinthians. But until then, have a great week and God bless.